grown up in church or you've been in church for some time, then you've heard these verses before. But Jesus, of course, is speaking and he's preaching here on the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, ye are the salt of the earth. But if that salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on an hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The next step of the Sermon on the Mount, the next series, the next topic is Jesus speaking here and He's talking about being salt and light. And this morning, for just a few moments here, I want to preach to you on this thought. Embracing our identity in Christ. Embracing our identity in Christ. Father, I pray that you'd help me this morning. Lord, I need you. Father, I prayed this morning, God, I cannot do this alone. Father, would you fill me with your spirit? Lord, would you speak to me, through me and for me? Would you hide me behind the cross? Father, would you speak to the hearts of your people here this morning? Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. It is not easy to be a dedicated Christian. Our society is not a friend to God nor to God's people. Whether we like it or not, there's a conflict between us and the world. Why? Well, because we are different from the world. And we have different attitudes because it is Christ who dwells inside of us. As we read the Beatitudes and as pastor has preached over these Beatitudes, we find that they represent an outlook radically different from the world. The world praises pride, not humility. The world endorses sin, especially if you get away with it. The world is at war with God while God is seeking to reconcile his enemies and make them his children. We must expect to be persecuted if we are living as God wants us to live. Yet, who we are as Christians is found in the identity of Jesus Christ. We are who we are because of Jesus. Just like Paul the Apostle said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And can I tell you, if you know Christ is your Savior here this morning, it is because of Jesus. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus uses two powerful metaphors that we have just read to describe His people. He calls us both salt and light. Both substances are valuable and both are useful. However, both are vastly different in the way they approach their respective functions. For example, salt is hidden, light is obvious. Salt works secretly while light works openly. Salt works from within, light from without. Salt works, uh, uh, salt speaks of the indirect influence of the gospel while light pictures its direct communication. 
Salt is largely negative. It can slow down corruption, but it cannot change corruption uh, into incorruption. Light is more positive. It not only reveals what is wrong and false, but helps produce what is righteous and true. Can I tell you this morning that if you are a Christian and you are a believer, Jesus calls us to be salt and light. We had just read the distinct, the distinct differences between salt and light. So let's break down this passage of scripture here this morning on being salt and light and embracing our identity in Christ. Number one, I want to show you this here this morning. I see the significance of salt. The significance of salt. Look at verse number 13. Jesus says, ye are the salt of the earth. When Jesus gives us the name of salt, he is reminding us that we have the opportunity and the responsibility to be an influence in the world. It is interesting that these verses should follow the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes, Jesus gives some qualities that ought to be present in every Christian's life. When we are possessed of these characteristics, we will be a positive influence and we will make a difference in the world around us. Can I tell you that when we are living out the standards of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, we will be like salt and like light. Now, light is an external quality that enables one to see just as a glistening limestone city set, uh, setting, uh, uh, sitting on a hill, on a hillside, it cannot be hidden for the light is coming from its walls. So the Christian who shines with the brilliance of the Lord Jesus cannot be hidden from the views of the world. In other words, your testimony will get out on you. Those around you will see it and they will be touched by it. Somebody once said this, you will be the only Bible that people ever read. And can I tell you this morning, how we act in this world as Christians truly makes a difference and it truly matters. Salt preserves and Christians help preserve what is good in the culture. In the ancient world, salt was very valuable. The Greeks thought it contained something almost divine. And the Romans sometimes paid their soldiers with salt. A soldier who didn't carry out his duties was uh, was not worth his salt, as the saying goes. You are a seasoning agent. In a sense, you can bring the distinctive flavor of God's values to all of life. For salt to be effective, though, it must be in contact with meat or fish to preserve it. To be effective, we must be involved where we work and where we live. But the problem is, is that this puts tension between us because the dominant culture doesn't necessarily like Christians. The majority of the time, living according to the Beatitudes may make us more successful in work. But we need to be prepared for the times it doesn't. What will we do if showing mercy, making peace, or walking for justice jeopardizes our position at work? Withdrawing from the world is no answer for the Christian, but it is difficult to live in the world, ready to challenge us in any way possible. 
Jesus mentioned in, uh, uh, early on in this chapter, in verses 10 to 12, he acknowledged the reality of persecution. Listen, if you are being salt in the world, if you are living the way you're supposed to as a Christian, if you are living the way Christ has uh, wanted us to live and has asked us to live, then there's going to be conflict and there might be some persecution along the way. But in our contacts with the culture, we must retain our saltiness, our distinctiveness. It's a balancing act that we're called upon to maintain. Listen, can I tell you here this morning that we cannot be like the world if we're going to reach the world. Let me say that again. We cannot be like the world if we're going to reach the world. Listen, Jesus calls us to be different. Jesus calls us to follow Him. Jesus calls us to be salt and to preserve what is around us. It was possible for salt in that day to lose its flavor. The salt used then was far different from that what we see today. Our salt now is a chemical compound called sodium chloride. The salt used in the ancient world was either mined from the salt, uh, from the salt cliffs along the Dead Sea, which were seven miles long and several hundred feet high, or it was evaporated from the waters of the Dead Sea. Either way, it was always mixed with mineral or vegetable matter. When this substance was exposed to the elements or when it touched the earth, the salt lost its salty taste. Even the surface salt that was dug from the cliffs was discarded because exposure to the light rendered it tasteless. The tasteless salt also lost all the qualities that made it so valuable and sought after to begin with. It is possible for Christians to lose their saltiness as well. This happens to us when we, just like in ancient times, come into too close contact with the world. When we get to be more like the world than we are like the Lord, when we have lost that thing that sets us apart and makes us valuable to do the Lord's work. In ancient times, when salt lost its savor, its, its, its saltiness, It was then taken out and cast into the footpaths. It was used much as gravel now is used in our day. Its only purpose then was to kill out the weeds that might grow on the road and for men to walk on to keep their sandals out of the mud. Literally, it was to be trodden under the foot of men, how Jesus said in verse number 13. Every Christian here today, including myself, needs to understand that when we lose our saltiness and when we cease to function as salt in the world, then we too have become good for nothing. And while we cannot lose our salvation, then we, uh, we, we have, while we cannot lose our salvation, we can most certainly lose our usefulness to the Lord and to His work. When this happens, we have become something to be trodden upon. When we are living for the Lord, men may not like us, but there is often a certain respect for the stand that we take and for the testimony that we possess. And when we allow our testimony to become stained by sin in the world, then men will walk upon our testimony and we become useless to the Lord as a vessel of witness. Now, I don't know about you this morning, but I do not want to lose my saltiness. I want to make a difference for Christ. The significance of salt. Do you see how, how significant it is for us Christians to be salt? It's important. As you consider your life today, can you say that you are the salt of the earth? 
You say, Pastor Ethan, that's a lot easier said than done. You are exactly right, but oh, how important it is. We can be the salt of the earth because we have Christ. And because of that, our identity is found in Him. Look, our identity as a Christian isn't found in the world's philosophy. It's not found in the world's theology. It's not found in the world's agenda. It's found in Christ. And we can be salt because we know Christ. And we can be salty Christians. The significance of salt, number two, I want to share with you this this morning. I see the significance of shining. The significance of shining. Verse number 14, Jesus says, Ye are the light of the world. In verse 13, Jesus calls us salt. Now, here in verse number 14, he is calling us the light of the world. Light was a crucial symbol in the Jewish worldview. Just as Greek culture prized knowledge or Roman culture valued glory or modern American culture values freedom, Hebrew culture's ideal standard was light. And this concept factors heavily in biblical explanations of godliness and truth. But spiritually speaking, there is no light in the world apart from Jesus Christ. Listen, His light, uh, His light though shines through every person who belongs to Him. In this way, the light of Christ is distributed into the darkness in every corner of humanity. That this light is meant to be visible to the world is also important. Jesus adds the metaphor here by referring to a city positioned on top of a hill. It is not meant to be hidden. A city on a hill is meant to be seen and found even in the darkest of night. And during the time of Christ, the walls around a city on a hill were often made from white limestone, which would be relatively easy to see, even on a dim night. In the same way, the light of Christ is not to be hidden on the earth. It is meant to shine out brightly from all who belong to Christ. It is meant to be discovered in this way by those who are still in darkness. Jesus goes on to say in verse number 15 that we are not to take our light and to hide it under a bushel. Nights could be very dark during the time of Jesus. In fact, to modern eyes living in time of electricity, the inky nighttime darkness of the ancient world would likely be shocking. On a moonless or overcast night, people would have struggled to see their hand in front of their own eyes. Caves and interiors and large rooms would have been naturally devoid of any lights. I remember when I was in high school, I went to a place called Mammoth Cave there in Kentucky. I was born in Knoxville, Tennessee, but I actually grew up in Kentucky, and my dad pastored there. I went to a Christian school, and obviously being in school, we take field trips sometimes. So we went to Bowling Green, Kentucky. I think that's where Mammoth Cave is. It's been a while. We were in Mammoth Cave there when we go down through the cave, and it was super awesome. It was super cool. I remember going down through the cave there, and of course they have lights in, those, in these caves so you can see where you're going, and they have a staircase that you can take for things that might be steep or things that might be high. <clears throat> and I remember that we were able to be on a flat surface, and all of us were in the room together. And they said, now what we're going to do is, to prove how dark it really is, we're going to turn all the lights out. And you know all the girls, oh no, no. you know, like, all right, <laughs> you know. And uh, boom, turn the lights out. Dark. 
As you can imagine, it was so dark in there that I put my hand in front of my face and I could not see my hand. In fact, they, one of them took a lighter just to prove how dark it really was in there. It was dark. Of course, they turned the lights on and, you know, being in darkness for a little bit, you know, your eyes are, you can't see and your eyes are kind of closed together. I remember how dark it really was. Light was available in the form of fire, including all oil lamps. As houses grew dark after sunset, lamps would be lit and available. Distributed around the house, but placement was key. The lamps would be put on a stand in the optimal spot to provide as much light in the room as possible. This is the point of Jesus' comment in this verse. Why would anyone light a lamp in the nighttime and then put a basket over it? They wouldn't, Jesus says. The light of lamps is meant to be seen in the same way that the light of Christ is meant to be seen in the world. We as Christians and believers, it's like the metaphor, we are the lamps. And we are the only source of spiritual light in this world. And our light is meant to be seen. Our light is meant to be shed abroad so that others can see this light. Look, you and I both know we're not naive. We live in a dark world. We live in a world that hates Jesus. We live in a country that opposes everything but Christ. This world is dark. And we as Christians must stand up and say, because of Christ, I can be the light of the world. Listen, this world is dying and going to hell each and every day. And we must do our job and do our duties as Christians to be salt and to be light and to tell them about Jesus Christ. The significance of shining. Oh, how, oh, how significant it is as we as Christians to shine the light of Christ in this world. The image of a city on a hill speaks of us letting our light shine as a community of faith. It speaks of the influence of the church and the world around us. And as a church, we let our light shine by our standards and by our style of worship and by the things we stand for. Listen, you can tell most every, everything you need to know about a church by the preaching they have, the Bible you they use, the songs they sing, and the activities they engage in. And like a city on a hill, we cannot be hidden. We either declare our stand for Jesus and we testify of His saving grace and power, or we take a stand with the world. It cannot be both ways. I'm glad to know and I say this boldly, and I say this proudly, that Calvary Baptist Church is a light on a hill to the area around us. The significance of shining. May our light shine for the glory of Jesus Christ. You know that song, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We say, oh, that's a kid's song. No, it's a song that we need to take to heart and we need to live by. The significance of shining. Number three. I'm almost done. Can you believe it? Look at that. I see here number three. The significance of the Savior's story. Watch this now. The significance of the Savior's story. Look at verse number 16. The Bible says, Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Watch this. And glorify your Father, which is in heaven. <clears throat> Jesus has described his disciples as first the salt of the earth, 
and then as the light of the world. Salt is meant to be salty and becomes worthless if it loses that quality. Light is meant to be seen by those in the darkness. It has no value if covered up and hidden. This verse provides the practical application of Jesus' teaching about being the light of the world. I'm going to tie this all in together. Watch this. Disciples display the light of Jesus by doing the good works of, that God intends for them. Even if acting in a Christ-like way earns persecution from the world, believers are meant to shine that light in a dark world. In other lessons, Jesus expands on the meaning of doing good works. An important point he makes later in the Sermon on the Mount involves proper motivation. Why do we do what we do? Well, because of Christ. Good works done for God's sake in ways that bring glory to God ought to be done so that they can be seen. The light of Christian goodness is meant to shine out so that God will be glorified. Listen, Christ is the only spiritual light in the world. And that truth is distributed through his people, his disciples, born-again Christians. Believers do good for others to point towards truth and to bring glory to God. The only way we can be salt and light is if we know Christ as our Savior. You cannot be salt and light in this world if you do not know Christ and you do not have a relationship with Him. It is impossible. But if you know Christ as your Savior, if you are a believer this morning, then you can be salt and you can be light. Not because of what you can do. Not for your glory. Not for your honor. Not for your praise, but for the glory of Jesus Christ. That is why we should be salt and light. The Savior's story, why can we be salt and light? Because we know Christ. And you know, when people see that there's something different about you, in the way you talk, in the way you act, and the way that you behave as a Christian, people realize that and people take notice and people can see. And you might have somebody come up to you and say, man, there's something different about you. Man, there's something different about the way you act. There's something different about your attitude. You have joy. You have peace. You have some awesomeness about you. You always have a smile on your face. Why is that? And you can say, because of Jesus and what he's done for me. And we can be salt and light because of Christ, and you can be a salty Christian, and you can be the light of the world, and you can combine those two things together, and when you use that, you can point others to Jesus and say, it's all because of the Savior, it's all because of Jesus, it's all because of what he did for me on that cross 2,000 years ago. Listen, our story isn't about us, it's about Christ, and what he did on the cross over 2,000 years ago. And because of that, I can embrace my identity in Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. Are you being a salty Christian? Are you letting your light shine? This world needs Christ now more than ever. They need us.
They need Christians to stand up and speak the truth in love. I'll tell you a story real quick and I'll be done. <clears throat> As a sophomore in high school, I got hired on at McDonald's, a, a kid's dream job. McDonald's, yes. I had worked at McDonald's for until I went to college and of course, I was there to save up money, and I did other things, uh, mowed some lawns and things of that nature. But I had worked at McDonald's, and I had because I was in school, I had to kind of work the later shift. So I would work four or five days out of the week, um, and I worked from about 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. on days that I worked. If it was a weekend, sometimes longer. But Kentucky has a rule on how long teenagers that are in school can work, certain hours and certain days. <clears throat> but I remember... It was uh, that second late shift. It was all high school students except the manager and some people that closed. We had a good time together. I mean, people knew that I was a Christian. People knew that I went to a Christian school. They knew that I was a pastor. But I was able to be friends with them and to be able to, um, you know, have a work relationship with them. And we all respected each other. I remember my senior year, I was fixing to graduate high school. They hired a man named Kevin. Kevin was kind of obnoxious. People didn't really care for him, but I didn't mind Kevin. I, he, was, he was all right to me. I remember I was up in the front one evening, and <clears throat> I was filling up the ice tank for where, uh, we, make, um, where we make the, uh, the frappes and things of that nature. And I was humming or I was singing a song, and, and um, Kevin said, you go to church? And there was another boy there, another man named Elijah, about my same age. He goes, yeah, Ethan goes to church. He sings in the choir. He's a, he's a preacher's kid. I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm like, yep, <laughs> that's me. Kevin goes, oh, you're a Christian. Of course, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. But I said, yes, Kevin, actually I am. I went outside to take out the trash, and Kevin was out there. I said, Kevin, let me ask you a question. This boldness came upon me. I said, Kevin, you ever go to church? He says, no, not really. I've never really been to church. I said, okay. I said, Kevin, what would happen to you if you died today? Where would you go, Kevin? He says, I, I really don't know. I, I, I don't know. So I started sharing the gospel with him. We got interrupted, and I couldn't finish. We had to go back inside. So before I left, I said, Kevin, can I come by your house this Saturday? Can I share with you the rest of what I was going to share with you? He said, absolutely. After visitation was over, after our meeting was over, I was working a bus route, and I told the captain and the other, the other worker, I said, hey, I want to go stop by my coworker's house. I think, I, can, I think he's going to accept Christ today. So I went, I pulled in his house. Kevin was outside. It was a little rainy outside. and He was sitting on the front porch, and I walked up. I said, Kevin, how are you? He said, I'm doing well. I said, you closed last night? He said, yeah. I said, I could tell you're a little tired, and I said, Kevin, can I share with you what I was sharing with you the other day? He said, absolutely. So I went through the Bible. I showed him in John 3.16 that God loved him. I went on to Romans 3.23 and showed him that for all have sinned. He said, Kevin, we're all sinners. We've all done wrong. There's none righteous. No, not one. Nobody is perfect. Then I showed him in Romans 6.23 that because of our sin, that the wages, the payment for our sin is death. I said, Kevin, unfortunately, unless God returns, Christ returns, we're all going to die one day. I said, and there's two places when you die, you go. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. There's no in between. Only those two places. He said, okay. 
I said, Kevin, but look what Romans, but look what the Bible says in Romans 5 eight. The Bible said that God commendeth, approved, he showed his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, while we did wrong, while we were imperfect, while we were unholy, while we were unrighteous, Christ died for us. I said, Kevin, I said, it all boils down to this. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever, means anybody, shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. I said, Kevin, I said, I just showed you from God's word how you can know Christ and how you can have eternal life. I said, well, do you want to pray and do you want to ask Christ to save you? Do you want to put your faith and trust in him and believe in him? He said, yes, I do. Kevin, that day, bowed his head and trusted Christ as his Savior. I said, Kevin, did you really mean it? I said, it's not the prayer that saves you. Yeah, we use prayer as a means of salvation to ask God to save us. I said, but Kevin, did you really put your faith and trust in Christ? Did you really believe in him? He said, yes, I did. I said, Kevin, if you die today, God forbid, Kevin, I said, but if you die today, where would you go? He said, i go to heaven. I said, why, Kevin? Why, do you, why would you say that? You know, I always try to make sure. He said, because I just prayed and I just put my faith and trust in Christ. And Kevin, that day, became a new creation and a new creature in Christ. He said, why are you telling that story? Because people need the Lord. Was I salt? Was I light there at McDonald's as a teenager? I don't know. I, have, I don't know. I could not tell you. I tried to be. I tried to be, and I did my very best. But I was able to use my story and my testimony because of what God did for me, and I was able to tell Kevin and share the story of the Savior's love for him. Embracing our identity in Christ. We are who we are because of Jesus. So now let's go out. And when we leave our pews this morning, when we head out, wherever we go to a restaurant, we go home, wherever we go to the store, let's be salt and light. Let's point people to the Savior. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, oh, you're so good to us. Lord, we thank you for these truths. Lord, we are who we are because of you. May we embrace, may we embrace our identity in you. Help us, God. The world's going to hate us. The world's going to laugh at us. The world's going to mock us. But we can say, you know what? I'm doing this for the Lord. 